time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is the story of Star Wars. You can read along with me in your book. O is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. All rebel fighters met at fleet headquarters to plan their attack. Princess Leia addressed them. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Hello, I am C-3PO, and you are about to listen to the story of Star Wars. Welcome to Don't Burn the Sacred Text, where if it's not canon, it doesn't count. I got, I got the intro right this time. I'm proud of myself. I had faith in you. That's Lindsay, everybody. That's uh, that's the one that uh, keeps me in check, makes sure I get the intros right, and uh, calls me out if I don't. So, anyways, we are here. Uh, we are, golly, 11 days from the release of Solo, A Star Wars Story. So, of course, we are talking last shot on this episode. But before we jump into that, um, as of the day of recording, it is Mother's Day. And so I wanted to wish a... Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And talk for a minute about the mothers in the Star Wars galaxy, or lack thereof. So, Lindsay, I was thinking about it this morning, and the only mothers that I can really think of that we spend any time with in the Star Wars galaxy are Leia and Shmi. It's in pretty- the movies, yeah. We also have Wexley in the Aftermath trilogy. Which is definitely a really interesting relationship for a son and a mother. And then hopefully we get to see a little bit more of Hera as a mother, too, and get to add her to the collection. Oh, don't get me started on that. That would be amazing. (laughs) You know, it's I'm reading. uh, uh, I just started Life Dead again. I just read the uh, first Aftermath book and we're going to do a trilogy episode for for those. So I don't want to go too deep into this, but. Nora Wexley is like the most uninteresting character in the world to me. And I don't know if it's because like she's the conflicted parent who is like deciding between duty and her family and things like that. And I just don't relate to that maybe, but she is all the other characters in that. I really like, she's completely forgettable, but we'll talk about that more um, when we get to that trilogy, you know, and, and that's the thing though, is even the moms that we have, like Hera is a mom and I forgot about that. It's like they they're they're very forgettable. So hopefully we'll get it to is. see some more of mothers stepping their game up. Not that's not the right way to say it. More mothers <laughs> stepping in and showing how amazing they are in the Star Wars movies. If you were to have like one mom, either somebody we have already who hasn't been on the big screen or meeting a character's mom and her having a playing playing a major role, who would who would you pick? Um, like, I, if I could pick absolutely anyone in Star Wars to be a mom, I would love to see, and I know you're going to guess who I'm going to say, and everyone's going to agree, but I would love to see Ahsoka. Really? See, I, I honestly hadn't even thought about that. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's the very first one that came to mind for me. I guess because, like, to me, she's one of those mythic figures, and... So I don't think of her in that context, you know, like, and I guess it's just because of the role she plays in my life and also in the saga, you know, she's very mythic, whereas Hera is amazing, but she's a little more like of a, a grounded, normal, everyday type character. And so seeing her as a mom is a little bit easier. I think that's why I would pick Ahsoka, though, because it seems so out of range for her. And I think she took such a great masterly figure for Ezra, but for such a short amount of time. And I don't think we got enough of that. So I would love to see that expanded and touched on a little bit more. Did you see the the latest Forces of Destiny with her and Ezra? With her and Ezra? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, yeah, there's a new episode. Uh, I... I'm going to hold back on talking to you about it because it's actually pretty cool to, to watch it. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but um, they've got the second half of the second season came out. There's about seven, I think, uh, forces of destinies that we get to see. You know what? That Now that I think about it, that would be a great place for like Hera Jason stuff. You know, if we if we get to see Hera again in yeah. Resistance, that'd be a great spot for for them to explore that relationship a little bit more. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they did. So, of course, we're going to talk about when we get to the the book, the Leia Ben Solo situation. But before we jump into that, uh, Lindsay, you were telling me before the show that you watched the live stream because you are far more religious than we are about <laughs> watching every <laughs> single thing. I tried watching. Well, clearly Facebook. not. I'm behind on Forces of Destiny. Well, yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I started to watch like the first five minutes of it uh, yesterday because I was like, ah, I got nothing else to do, and I just. I don't know. The press junkets, I just don't care about because I know either one, they're going to accidentally spoil something I don't want them to spoil, or two, they're not going to say anything important as far as I'm concerned. Because um, I'm not a big like behind the scenes junkie um, like some people are. I don't know. Are you? Are you a big behind the scenes person? I am not totally, totally religious about it. And my problem is I don't remember like trivial facts. You know, everyone's always like, oh, we need to find like a Star Wars bar trivia or something, but I'm not good with like trivial facts like that. So I kind of remember it. I'm interested in it, but for the most part, it's in one ear out the other with a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. The only one I've ever really gotten attached to is the the stuff on The Last Jedi. And Honestly, it's because, like, there was so much talk about how different that movie was from the other Star Wars films. And so to see Ryan Johnson talk about the movies um, and, and how he kind of developed the ideas and how the process went was really interesting. Because with all the years we have with Star Wars, we kind of know the behind the scenes stories more or less. You know, we know I'm actually watching A New Hope right now. And we know that, you know, Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker hated each other. We know that there were storms and, you know, we know about all those stories that plagued A New Hope behind the scenes. But The Last Jedi just was so different. It was interesting to see kind of how they approached that story. So those I really got into for a short while. But honestly, I don't think I could tell you what was yeah. in the majority of them and, now. And same with The Last Jedi. I think what's always more interesting to me in terms of behind the scenes stuff is the pre-production work that goes into it. And what did they use to really inspire the story? So even like Force Awakens, I'll never forget hearing J.J. Abrams talk about how him and um, Lawrence Kasdan used to just walk around and their whole thought process was every single scene needs to be delightful. And what do we do? How do we accomplish that? And hearing kind of like the origin stories for how they wrote certain scenes is always really interesting. But the actual like production and even some of the post-production stuff, I just, I don't get into the way I do the whole writing and the creative aspect of it. Yeah, I adore the art of books. Unfortunately, they're like $50 a pop. So I only own the Force Awakens one right now. But those like when I go to Barnes and Noble, I'm always checking those out and just, oh, it's, they're so cool. And I love seeing how that the story develops. I read the Force Awakens one uh, front to back, and I'm eventually going to get the uh, Rogue One and Last Jedi one so I can watch or watch those, read those and check out like how the story developed. I, I feel like, I guess it's good that we're on a podcast. When I read things, I hold on to them better than just watching them on TV. Um, so I think that helps it stick a little bit more for me. But honestly, like I've just realized I can get all the stuff Stuff I need to know from podcasts, you know, like reputable podcasts, like full of Sith or whatever. We'll talk about all those behind the scenes things and, you know, what the creators talked about in this interview or that interview. So I don't really need to, but that's just me. Um, so anyways, that was a really long way to go about asking you, how was the live stream? <laughs> you know what it was? I have to be honest. I thought it was a little disappointing. Um, and reason being, I think I almost blame you for this because you had such a great experience going into The Last Jedi totally blind. I've been trying to do that with Solo. So I obviously watched the trailers for Solo and I've watched most of the commercials. You know, I get like the YouTube alert on my phone as soon as they release a new commercial. And I've been really picky about which ones I've watched because I want to have the same experience you did. I want to go in totally blind and really fresh and open to whatever this movie is going to be. And watching the live stream, you can tell that they really try to separate this from the main saga. So there weren't really like a lot of stars. There really weren't many interviews at all. 
And instead, what they kept doing was just showing all of the clips from the movie that I've been trying to avoid. So I, I made such a conscious effort to not watch a single, you know, 30, 45 second clip that they've released. And all they did for about an hour and a half was just keep replaying these over and over and over. Um, finally, you know, they got to some of the interviews towards the end, but there was really nothing totally groundbreaking about this. Yeah, and that's exactly the reason that I didn't want to watch it. It was cool, though, um, going on Twitter and getting to see fellow podcasters um, like the ladies over at uh, Sky Talkers and and a um, few other people whose names I'm just blanking on right now that got to actually attend the premiere. Um, that was pretty cool to see them kind of getting to take pictures with, uh, you know, Dave Filoni, Kathleen Kennedy, and all those people. So congratulations to you guys who were um, able to attend that. But yeah, it's just, it does nothing for me. If you're one of those people that digs it, then that's, you know, totally cool. I did like the um, the Solo Cup display that they had. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, going back to, you know, it, beca- uh, it being called Red Cup in the beginning stages of production and things like that. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, I, I just... The one thing that bothers me... I I think, though, too, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think the things that excited me the most actually was those super geeky interviews that are meant for people like us. Like, Dave Filoni, the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, where's Dave? Where's Dave? Finally, Dave Filoni shows up, and, you know, Andy Gutierrez is interviewing him. And just seeing him on the red carpet and him talking about how much he enjoys it and why he enjoys it and trying to not spoil anything about the new show he's working on. Like, those were the moments I absolutely lived for. I would have loved to have more of those types of moments as opposed to just, you know, here's, you know, the star of Solo talking about how this movie's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it. They they have to talk around so much stuff nowadays, and so, I mean, the only time I really look for those interviews with them is if somebody says something, you know, crazy um, out of left field, and you get all those clickbait articles. I'll always go back and try to find, like, the actual source, because I'm like, mm, did they really say that? Like, the whole Mark Hamill thing uh, that happened with The Last Jedi drove me absolutely insane uh we've talked about in the past the whole like idea that um the deleted scene was the third lesson is complete horse poodoo or bantha poodoo i guess i should say but um other than that like i don't really look for them because i know i know that they're not you know made for us but i i do have to say and i tweeted this out uh yesterday for all the crap that we've given Lucasfilm, and I say we as a general fandom, about why don't we have solo stuff? Where's our trailer? What are you doing with this movie? Like, are you trying to hide it because it sucks? The marketing has been on point. From the time they released that trailer at the Super Bowl onward, it has been, in my opinion, flawless marketing for this movie. You think? I, I feel like it's. I feel like it was like nothing for so long and then we've just been bombarded the past week and a half but see i think that that's the point i mean it's in front of the the it's funny i went and saw uh infinity war for the second time yesterday and as the preview started i go please just let me see solo i just want to watch it one more time on the big screen first one that pops up solo so i so i mean there's those they're on tv all the time i mean i was at the gym this morning and i think i saw the solo symbol pop up seven times on espn um and it's like it's a part of it's one of those um marketing things that's on the eastern conference or western conference finals or whatever so they're like making sure that even though they're doing it in a short amount of time people know this movie is coming what it's about who it's about um and i think for the the casual fan who is really that's who the marketing is for like you just have to say oh yeah we're putting out a star wars movie you don't have to tell us what it's about we're going to see it we're gonna go on opening night like you could tell us it's a movie about the gonk droid and we're actually that would be pretty cool but you could tell us it's like <laughs> a movie about jawas and we would go see it like opening night we're suckers like that but for the average fan i think you have to kind of have that presence Convince a little bit more yeah and with rogue one and last jedi and force awakens it was the only movie out so like you're going to see like Star Wars or like Family Christmas. What are you going to see? You're going to see Star Wars. So, and I meant the movie Family Christmas, not spending Christmas with your family. <laughs> but 
Although, although good, good clarification. Yeah, at, at times, at times, seeing Star Wars can be better. But um, you know, here you've got Infinity War came out. Then you've got Deadpool two coming out uh, next weekend. You've got um, Ant Man and the Wasp coming out in July. And if they hadn't yeah, just bombarded that uh, bombarded us with with Solo, like the average fan might not go to see it. And now they're projecting. Um, I think the last number I heard was $170 million opening weekend, which would beat Rogue One by like $20 million. So in my opinion, yeah, I think they're doing it perfectly. One thing I've really been digging, though, is the design work behind it. I love that they're going back to like that 70s-esque feel for all of the posters and all the, you know, t-shirts and just anything design related that brings it back to like that 1970s vibe. I've really been enjoying that. Oh yeah, no, I totally dig that. The, uh, the imagery that they've had around it has been great. And I like that they are putting Alden in like Han Solo poses, but they're not like force feeding you with it. Like on the main Solo poster, he's got that you know, um, gun out pose that you see all over the place with uh, Han Solo as he's going up the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope. And it's like an iconic image of Han Solo that you see everywhere. And so you get that kind of allusion to that, but he's not like in the same outfit um, or anything forced like that. It's, it's They're allowing Alden, and I appreciate this, to be his own version of Han Solo. And Donald Glover talked about this on the Star Wars show a couple weeks ago, how you can't just come in and do an imitation of Billy D. Williams or Harrison Ford uh, because then all you're doing is an imitation. You're not really acting. You're not really presenting the character. You're not adding any depth to the character. And from just the headlines that I've seen, because I haven't clicked on the articles, everybody's saying that Alden is a, a really great Han Solo. And I've said from day one, I, I had no problem seeing him as Han Solo at all. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to stick with my early predictions for right now, too, though, and say that we're going to walk out of that theater and his is not going to be the most memorable performance. I think it's going to really be a lot of scene stealers from, of course, the women in this, Thandi Noon and Amelia Clark. But I think Donald Glover is going to absolutely kill it. I think Woody Harrelson is going to be awesome in it. I think we're going to walk away thinking that the supporting cast is really what rounded out this film, which is, you know, if it is the heist movie that we're all expecting, that's exactly what you need and exactly what you want from a good heist movie. It's just a good, well-rounded cast as a whole, not just one person. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, I agree completely with you. Donald Glover alone is going to steal this movie. Um, oh, he, I love him. He is oh, so... I started, we started watching Community once um, we found out that he was going to play Lando. And I was like, yeah, he's really funny. Like, and I've seen his stand-up before. And I never really listened to his music. Uh, and then the This Is America video dropped and broke the internet for a little while there. And so I've checked out some of his music. And this dude is... It's actually he's, irritating how talented he is. He's amazing. See, I so was kind good. of one of the... Uh, Donald Glover fangirls from very early on turned Childish Gambino fangirl because I absolutely love one of my favorite shows is 30 Rock and he started off as a writer for 30 Rock and he was in a couple of episodes so that's how I first found him and then of course because he went to Community I started watching that show and it just went on from there and I'll never forget being out in Outback Steakhouse when they announced he was going to be in this movie and I just look at my phone and my mom immediately goes, what's wrong? What's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? She thought, she literally thought someone had died because I just stared at my phone That's so awesome. wide eyed. And then I just started freaking out. I called my brother right away. Like didn't even care that I was at dinner with my parents. Started calling everyone <laughs> to tell them he was going to be in this movie. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's without a doubt. Every, every podcast, every Twitter account in all of fandom has said it's been the perfect casting um, the one that I'm, because I just feel like going in, Lando's going to be perfect. And so I don't even have to like, I'm not even curious about that. What I am pretty curious about, and this kind of will segue into our main discussion about last shot is, uh, 
Phoebe Weller-Bridge is playing L3 because yeah. I just found out yesterday um, as I was watching part of the, the Facebook Live that they did, which, uh, you know, was good fun for about five minutes. But she uh, was part practical effects and part CGI. So, like, there are parts of L3's body that are, like, actually on Phoebe Weller-Bridge's and then the rest of it is um, CGI'd. Which, you know, goes back to Snoke and how they did Snoke um, in The Last Jedi, where he's CGI, but then they've got that hand that comes up and touches Rey's face. And I was watching Last Jedi yesterday, and I was trying to be able to tell, like, a difference, and you cannot tell a difference. So the fact that they can do what they can do now with CGI, and you can create these characters like a L3, who Phoebe Waller-Bridges mentioned that, you know, she can move the joints in directions that droids aren't normally able to move. And so that mixed with what we saw of the character in this book, I'm, I'm pumped for L3. Yeah. I mean, she was definitely a highlight for me in this book. And it's so weird because it's something that we have spoken about so extensively on clashing sabers is really, where do you draw that line between a human and a droid? And where is that difference? And is it, is it becoming more and more blurred? And I'm also a big Westworld fan, so it goes perfectly into the theme and the plot of that show. But I thought that was definitely one of the most intriguing parts of Last Shot. And that one character really stuck out to me. So to see her more in Solo, I'm excited for. And I think it's really interesting the way they did it. Like you said, she's the mix of CGI and the mix of practical effects. And I think it is such a perfect metaphor for the character itself. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. And like, I'm really excited about um, L3 because she was kind of like a crux character for kind of the whole theme behind Last Shot. But before we start really digging into uh, into this book, what were your like overall impressions, Lindsay? So, I don't know. There were a lot of plus and minuses. Overall, I would say it was enjoyable, but it's not something I'm going to go back and keep rereading. And I don't think it necessarily sticks with me in the way that other books in the do. Um, I think I have to give Daniel Jose older credit for this. He writes the characters, Han and Lando, absolutely perfectly. Yeah, anytime I started getting really into what was happening in the present day storyline, I just get ripped out of it and I get thrown into something that was happening 10 years ago. And then as soon as I start getting into that storyline and as soon as I start connecting to something there... I get pulled out of that and I get thrown back into the present day. So it's not that it was complicated. It just jerks you back and forth and doesn't allow you to really connect to any one character or any storyline. Yeah, that was my big issue. Um, also, I got about like, I don't know, halfway through this book and I realized like I didn't remember most of the details of what I had read. And so the second half of the book was really just a slog for me. And I, I feel terrible saying that because like the entire Twitterverse is in love with this book and I I enjoyed it, but the way that I really like judge how much I like a Star Wars book, I always buy the hardback when it comes out and then I leave those sitting and if I want to reread the book, I go buy the paperback when it comes out. I I'm not going to buy the paperback when this comes out. But that said, I do kind of want to listen to it on audiobook because the audiobook version has um, three different narrators for each different timeline. So that's pretty interesting. But overall, yeah, the whole jumping back and forth was just it was too much to keep up with because there was no in my mind, there was no real order to how they were jumping around. It wasn't like here's 10 years in the past, 15 years in the past, 20 years in the past, present or any pattern or anything. It was very random and it didn't feel like, okay, if we're 10 years in the past and then we go to the present, that that 10 years in the past section informed the present as much as it should be to where it was. Like, because if it was more like a flashback and it, and you see something and then it's touched upon right after that in the next chapter, that's one thing, but there seemed to be no real order to how the story was told. 
No, it wasn't. And I think Delilah Dawson did it really well in Phasma. Um, I think she used the time jumps between the present day and the main story being told really well. It was almost like a commercial break. And it was very well paced and very even. And anytime you needed a little bit of a break in the story, that's when you went back to present day until eventually the two tied together. This seemed crazy sporadic and kind of just like, okay, now I feel like telling this other story. It was almost like like ADD in book form. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I was thinking while I was reading this is I really do like the the risks that they're taking with the novels. Um, I'm happy that a book like Last Shot is out, and I'm super happy that Mo enjoyed it, um, because it just means that there are more directions that they could go with Star Wars storytelling. Um, and you've got books like the Aftermath trilogy, which is told in present tense. You have books like uh, like Phasma, you were saying, that have those little commercial breaks, or even the Ahsoka novel that has um, time with her her thoughts and those being like little chapters that don't inform the story, but give you more about her experiences. And then you have a book like Last Shot where it jumps around a lot. So I like that they are not just um, telling the same old story with different characters or, or writing the same types of books. I think that's one thing that kind of hurt the uh, the expanded universe is it was very... Um, in my opinion, formula, formulaic at times um, from what I've read. And so it makes it a little bit harder to get into. Like the first half of this book before I got completely lost, I really enjoyed the the way they were telling the story. But like over time, it started to to wear on me. That said, you are completely right. Daniel, Daniel Jose Older understands characters to an amazing extent. Like the dialogue was exactly right. The playing of the characters was exactly right. Like everything with the characters uh, just worked. And the one that worked the best for me is the RO character, the Gungan, who was... <laughs> yeah, I liked him a lot. So, like, I've never been a huge Jar Jar fan. Um, I've never had the vitriolic hate for him that most people do. Um, except for in Clone Wars, I don't like him in the Clone Wars animated series. But this year I have a student and she is really into Jar Jar. Like Jar Jar is her her go to. And so being able to like see him through a younger person's eyes and kind of remember back then, I've come to really like Jar Jar. Um, he's never going to be one of my favorites, but I don't cringe when he's on screen anymore. I, I appreciate his role. And so to to take that and then be and then have it where you have a gungan like hey um we're not all like that you meet one gungan and you just assume you know all of us which is great because what did we what have we had for years in the star wars galaxy oh there's one mandalorian who's a warrior all mandalorians are warriors there's one rodian who's a bounty hunter all rodians must be bounty hunters and so it was a very meta, self-aware joke that I just really appreciated. No, I, I'm right there with you. I like that one line. I like that whole character, seeing how he interacted with everyone else. I thought it was a really nice touch. And I like that we were able to get some new characters like that in this book. And it wasn't just a rehashing of... Um, Han and Lando and Han and Leia. I like that there were some stuff being introduced. I mean, overall, look, there is a lot to like about this book, but it just fell a little bit flat for me. I don't think I'm going to go back and revisit it anytime soon. But there there were still, when I really think about it, there's, there's a lot of good stuff to this book, and the Gungan character is definitely one of it. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that. Like, he wasn't just there to make that joke. Um, he, like, he was there for a while afterwards, and he helped Han and, and Lando, um, through whatever weird thing happened at that Grimdock station, that the whole part was just, didn't connect with me at all, um, the mind-controlling giant bug things, um, fell completely flat for me, and yeah. so, 
which is funny because I've heard a lot of people say that that's their favorite part of the book. And I'm like, other than Aro, I can't tell you what the heck happened there. Um, But the other character that was really fun uh, was the Chewie worshipping Ewok. Ewok. Who is a hacker. (laughs) Oh, it was so great. And then, you know, I like that they gave you that connection that that Chewie saved... um, her sister or something like that at the battle of Endor. And so that's why she's such a big, like chewy fan, because I feel like that's all of us. We're all, you know, big chewy fans. You know, you hear stories all the time about people seeing chewy and they go up and just the first thing they want to do is hug him because it feels like, you know, coming home to, to your favorite, you know, pet or whatever. Um, and so that was really cool. I, I liked that. I know some people were like, oh, Ewoks being, you know, technologically sound and stuff like that was a little bit of overkill. But I mean, again, it goes back to the idea that not all of a species has to be exactly the same. Um, and as far as I remember, we didn't get a too much backstory on Pika. So, I mean, it, it holds that there's a very real possibility she could have been out in the galaxy for for years um, to learn all this hacking uh, stuff. And it wasn't just like after the Battle of Endor, she came and, and learned how to do that, but she'd been there for 20, 30, 40 years or something of that nature. You know what's funny? That was my original thought. I just kind of assumed that that was the case. It wasn't until after when other people started talking about this character. I I never once thought it was like, oh, she was at the Battle of Endor and then left and in three years just became this prodigy. I just always kind of assumed that she had been out there for a while. But I mean, I, I like that character. And like you said, it is definitely one of the more important themes of the book to break those stereotypes. And I thought that it, it was done in a really fun way with the Gungan and the Ewok. Yeah, the other big... I guess stereotype that I I think was broken was with the Lando character and his love interest, whose name I am completely blanking on. Oh, the Twilight. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What was her name? I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now and seeing if I can come across it, but I am not seeming to find it. But anyways, when you think of Han, you don't think of, or excuse me, when you think of Lando, you don't think of settling down. Um, And so if he just said, oh, yeah, there's a part of this story about Lando where he meets a girl he really loves and starts to settle down, might not feel that into it. But it was actually one of the parts that I was really into, and it felt very natural for Lando's character. What were your thoughts on on that aspect of it? I liked it. And again, this goes back to older really getting the characters. And I think that this is one of those things that made the time jumps work well because you get that juxtaposition and this older version and it made more sense as to why now maybe he is uh, more open to settling down and having that relationship and I mean I also think it works that there were a few chances taken in this book to really appeal to the more adult audience you could say (laughs) and I think it worked really well with Lando and being able to incorporate that more adult language and more adult thought process into his opening up to this character just worked well. Yeah. And thinking on it now, it's very much in character for Lando to have, I guess it's an attachment to an individual, um, a sense of loyalty to an individual. He has L3 um, who we can tell already he's very attached to um, just from this book. And I'm sure we'll learn more about that as we go on. And then in the Lando comic, we've seen his attachment to Lobot um, and their friendship. And then, you know, after everything that happens on Bespin, um, he kind of commits to Han, Luke and Leia um, and, and helping them. And so it's not out of character for Lando to be, I, I hesitate to use attachment in, in the Star Wars galaxy because of the negative connotation that that has, but to really have a, a sense of loyalty to uh, to people. Um, even L3, you know, being a droid is, is kind of a person because she kind of created herself. And there's 
there's that whole um, line in there or that section in there about, um, you know, we're more than our makers and maybe we're each our own makers. And I and I really like that because in a book that was very devoid of the the mythological aspects of Star Wars, that felt like very true to the story and particularly true about, you know, what we know about droids, because we know if a droid's memory is not wiped starts to gain more and more of his own personality um, and quirks and stuff. We see it with R2 and now with BB-8 um, that they're, they're very individualistic. And so I was going somewhere with all of that and I completely lost it, but it comes back around to Lando having the sense of loyalty seemed very true to character to me. It did it. I think it's just a matter of now with this character, the Twilight character, it's, in a much more conventional way, which is what shocks people. But you're right. He's always had cause he's been completely loyal to. Now it's just in a way people have come to expect. And that's what's more shocking with his character in this one. But I mean, I, I like it. It goes along with the main theme of this whole personal growth element. And whether it's Han trying to focus more into the family life or Lando being able to open himself up to someone you know, I think that's the main point of this book, and I'm not sure if that's going to be echoed in Solo or if this is just totally new to this book and unique to this book, but it was definitely one of the main points to take away from. Yeah, for sure. And and going into Han, how did you feel about Han's conflict in the... I don't feel like there was really much um, conflict in the past story with him and Sana Staros that just kind of which it was cool to see Sana in the book and jumping from the comic, but that just kind of was very much how we think of Han, you know, in pre the movies, but in the parts with Ben Solo and being a father and kind of that, that conflict um, within him, how did you feel about that uh, character development for Han? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this version of Han made a lot of sense because, I mean, we go from seeing him as, you know, the rebel scoundrel, the rebel, rebel scum in Return of the Jedi, and all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that he was, at least for a while, turned to this family man, this stay-at-home dad type character. And there was just this massive jump between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. But I think stories like this make it much more believable that he went through that transition and the way he went through it and the struggles he had during it. And really, I I really like seeing that. I like seeing this version of Han, and I wish it was something that we were able to get more of. But unfortunately, there's just not a lot of meat in these stories. So I don't think this is a time period where we're going to see really often, but I really enjoy it. And I wish there was more there that we could spend more time there. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I think the, the way kind of like we were talking about with Lando, that they're making these characters more human um, is, is really cool. And, you know, Han says in the force awakens to Leia, you know, I went back to the only thing I was ever any good at. And if you think about the fact that that had been wearing on him for 20 some odd years, that he wasn't meant for the role he wasn't cut out for the role of father and husband and family man. And then, you know, his son does like, you know, the worst thing ever. And <laughs> it's going to validate all those feelings that he had. So I thought it was, it was one of the few things that I really attached to in this book. Um, was yeah, especially because I remember seeing Force Awakens and being kind of upset at that line because the way it's delivered and it's, it says nothing about Harrison Ford or J.J. Abrams. It's just the fact that we didn't see the story. So the way it's delivered makes it seem like Han was like taking the easy way out. It's something he just didn't want to do. Uh, something maybe he was afraid to do so he didn't really try to be a father. But to see stories like this where he's so clearly trying and putting that effort in and it just doesn't work out no matter how hard he tried or how badly he wanted it. It just makes you see Han in the light that you want to see him in. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, personally for me, it, it helps me relate to Han a lot better because I've noticed about myself lately, I have this bad habit of like self-sabotaging. When something's going really good, I'll start trying to change things uh, to, to make them better when really like, 
I'm just, I know the things I'm doing in the first place were right and I was doing it right and I was doing it the best I could. So why am I changing it kind of thing? And I feel like that's kind of the same struggle that Han's going through is he's doing the best he can, but still it's, it's that imposter syndrome. He, he feels inadequate uh, being there. That the, the one scene that like sticks with me more than anything was that, that beginning scene with him and Mon Mothma and Ben in the morning. It was, that was the best, <laughs> best part of the whole book. Your mothfulness. I love it. But just to see. I, I wish we could have had the whole book. Just that one yes. scene dragged out. Yes. Yeah. I need I need Forces of Destiny episodes with Han and Mon Mothma and, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, it's really cool to put those two characters together because they're such a, a, such a contrast to each other. You know, you have um, Mothma, who is very stoic and she has her sets of morals and she doesn't bend. Whereas you have Han and he's more trying to figure out what his morals are and how far he's going to bend. And so um, anytime those two, I say anytime, this is really the first time I can think of in the new canon that we have the two of them together. But there's some times in Legends that I've read and there's just that push-pull between them. They both respect each other and you know they do, but it also, they don't quite see things from the other person's point of view. So... That was really cool. Yeah, I mean, overall, Han's story was the one... Uh, the Han and Lando character development are the ones that I um, took the most from, more so than the story itself, which really saved this book for me. Because I've said before, and I'll say it a million times, I care about like characters. I like the stories about characters. I know these new books have not really connected with everybody um, who were Legends fans, because the Legends... You know, like Drew, for example, he likes more of the adventure type stuff um, and these more personal, intimate character books aren't really his his cup of tea. Whereas for me, I read the books that are big, grand adventure stories and I'm like, why? Why did you have to tell this? This should be a movie and the books, I want them to be a little more intimate. So I really appreciated that. But talking about Han, I mean, we have to talk about Leia and as always, Leia was fan freaking tastic. So what are you, what were your thoughts on Leia's role uh, in this book and kind of how she pushed Han's development and, and helped him try to figure himself out? I, I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. And I think one of the reasons why I loved it is that it was allowed to take the backseat to the rest of the story. Because if you think about it, any other time we have Leia on screen or on page she takes over and she dominates and it's her story. And that's not a bad thing. That's that's a testament to what a strong character she is. But to see her be able to take the back seat and help someone else really grow and push their development the way it did in this book, I think it says so much about the character. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a very different portrayal than we're used to seeing. Um, again, just like some of the other stuff in this book, it's something I wouldn't mind seeing more of. I just don't think we will. You know, I wonder if we will see more of that stuff in resistance because I don't know if they're going to have Leia be a main character there. Um, I kind of see her playing the same role as like Amon Mothma did in rebels. And so we might be able to see some more of that type, like behind the scenes stuff I I loved when um, she revealed that she was behind um, the, the guys hiring uh, Taka, the gender non-binary character. I thought that was really funny because that part of the story was the one part I was like, that was the one part I rolled my eyes at when they went and met him and he was claiming to be Han Solo and all this stuff. And it was just a total eye roll moment for me. And I was like, why is this in here? Why was this necessary? Like, it doesn't add to why he gets hired as the pilot or they or whatever the, the proper term is. Um, which, by the way, I got I just had to say that I, I'm, I'm totally cool with I'm, I'm a big fan of them diversifying the characters that are in the books better. And I, I like the idea of, of this gender non-binary character because it doesn't matter. But the they thing threw me off so much. My grammar was just. Yes. It, yeah. It's not that it's it's bad. It was just hard it, it, to read. It was confusing to it was, read. It was very confusing yeah. to read. And I was like, every time I'm like the writer part of me is like, how could I have written around saying they and, you know, instead said 
the name or the one yeah. or, yeah. you know, and so anyways, that was distracting for me, but it was kind of like the timeline thing. It just like pulls you out real quick and you're like, wait, 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 I got to go back and read that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, but I love the character. The character was a lot of fun. So, um, it was kind of like, I, I, after I got used to it, it kind of faded to the background and I noticed more as the book went on, ironically enough that, um, Daniel Jose Older stopped uh, using the pronoun as much and started referring using the name a little bit more. So I wonder if uh, I didn't he kind of noticed that. that. Yeah, I, I did kind of notice that because one time I I was like, huh, I'm getting through this a lot quicker. It was also the the same time we started getting all the stuff in the present um, towards the end. There, I started to notice mm-hmm. it. But anyways, um, back to Leia. I I of course everybody knows I love Leia um, and how much she means to me, and so anything I can get with her is great. And, and to see her kind of pulling the strings for lack of a better term was pretty awesome. And then to have the moment um, that I was talking about before, and I'm just like, Ugh, why do we need this moment in here? Just hire a pilot and call it a day. And then later it comes back and I was like, Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. That's exactly what Leia would do. She would stoke Khan's ego to, you know, keep an eye on him. Um, and, and I just love, how these new stories are showing how well Han and Leia know each other. Um, We get, you know, Leia knows Han so well in this book that she's able to put him in a position to achieve what he needs to achieve. And if you go back to Bloodline, or I guess forward to Bloodline, we haven't talked about Bloodline yet, um, Han does the same kind of thing. He's there for her right when she needs it in that critical moment um, in the climax of that story. So... The way that they're developing the relationship, uh, I I like a lot. And it's making that scene uh, that you were talking about before in The Force Awakens just so much more tragic. Um, and Knowing how hard ugh, they tried. Yeah. yeah. And see, I really like, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with getting the chance to see their relationship and how well they know each other. And I think what's more, even more special in this book than it is in Bloodline is how early this is, you know, so being able to see this here and in aftermath where it's just a few years into their relationship and they already had this repertoire and they already know each other so well, I think says so much about the two of them together. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really expands on, which I think is what the book should do. It expands on what we see in the films, you know, with, with Han and Leia, we have the, I love you. I know moment and everybody knows what they're really saying to each other. Um, and then you have the flip in Return of the Jedi and everybody knows they're saying something more than that. Um, and there are these two characters that never quite seem to say exactly what they want to say to each other um, because they're kind of playing this little cat and mouse game. And then to see that that's kind of, it's still there a little bit in their relationship um, is kind of interesting. And, oh God, it's, it still bugs me <laughs> that Han and Leia were not together in The Force Awakens. I know. I know. And I it, thought, I really thought that after like all these years, I would be more okay with it. But I'm, I'm really, like, I'm okay with it because it works for the story. But like emotionally, I'm like. Oh. Doesn't make it less painful though. No, exactly. And, I, and it's supposed to be painful because that just makes everything with Ben so much worse. I've started calling him Ben a lot more than Kylo and that scares me a little bit. But. <laughs> <laughs> it makes his fall like that much more like, oh, what are you doing? You destroyed like couple goals. What what are you doing to my life right now? <laughs> They're endgame, damn it. Yes. Oh, anyways. Um, so speaking of Ben, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, um, a.k.a. Mr. Hare. That one was for you, Michelle. Um, what do you what did you think about how, what this added to Ben's story? I mean, we get him when he's a little kid, but. Did you feel like this helped add any depth to his story? It it did in the sense that it's something. You know, we don't really have a lot to go off of now. So right now, any little bit that we get where we can see those early days of when he was growing up and his family life, anything is going to add exponential amount. You know, if we start to get more stories along these lines in the next five a look at this as like the monumental you know oh that's when moment you know oh yeah for sure and i find it really funny that he woke up with somebody standing over him with a blade 
again <laughs> with the murder droid trying to get him. I was like, oh, so maybe yeah. boys should get used to this. Yeah, maybe that's a thing with him, and he's got a little PTSD with that. Um, that was I was not making fun of PTSD there. Sorry if that came off wrong, but um, I have some myself, so I'm obviously not making fun of it. But like for real, to wake up twice, I I really do wonder because he's at that age where he might kind of be forming memories that he can hold on to. So I wonder if consciously that's, or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I think that's interesting. I didn't think of that. Yeah, it's like right on that verge where you you you're not a hundred percent sure if he would remember but like it's that age where you kind of you know you remember things but you don't remember the specifics of them um and so i it would be interesting to eventually find out if that stuck with him but um the the thing the conversation that this book kind of created around ben's fall and the whole working parent thing have you have you heard about this No, I haven't. So the book has kind of opened up this conversation that part of um, Kylo Ren's fall to the dark side is due to the fact that he had two working parents who never really had time for him. He was not that they were bad parents, but that they just had so much going on and they were pulled in so many directions. Um, And the conversations kind of like transition to what it says about, you know, kind of how parents are today where there's just so much going on and they're trying to do so much and juggle so many things that maybe the kid is not getting the focus that the kid deserves. Do you think that this story really adds uh, to that narrative? You know, unfortunately it does. Um, Cause I mean, I, I hope that's not the case and I hope that it's not that his story isn't so easily dismissed in those terms but it's it's hard to say no. It's totally contradictory. It doesn't go along with that at all. Because I mean, it does. You know, that is the storyline. That is this story is about his parents at a very young age picking things over him, and of course, it's going to have some kind of lingering effect. I just don't think that that is the number one cause of his eventual demise. Yeah, I I'd have to agree with that. I mean, I had that kind of resentment towards towards my dad when I was younger because he had to work a lot and then he took me he he manages uh Applebee's restaurants and he took me to one of his meetings one day and showed me like he had all the people that work for him sitting in one room and he's like these are all the people I'm responsible for plus you guys plus the family and I was like oh okay and like that resentment went away and I started to understand it better and I was like 13 then and so if we imagine Kylo was around 24 when he uh, turned to the dark side, if that is like the, the major factor, then I will say it right here, right now, that is a huge mistake on the part of Lucasfilm if they make that the, the main thing. I don't think they will. Um, I was actually right working on an article that will come out either this week or next week um, on the messiness of decision-making and stuff and how Ray, her character has had everything go wrong, but still tries to look for the good. Whereas Kylo grew up with everything he could ever need, but still seems to find the bad. And I, I think that's kind of the interplay they're creating there. Not necessarily that he, he was needy and didn't get the love that he wanted at home. I, I just don't, I don't see them one. I don't see them wanting to, to base their story on that because it's just not strong storytelling, but also that's just completely disrespecting Han and Leia uh, as characters. It is. If anything, I would say it sets up what happens in bloodline. And I know that this is going to be a totally different discussion we have eventually, but seeing the way that they weren't able to respond when certain family secrets came out, And they weren't able to get in touch with him. And it's not something they had been able to discuss beforehand. I think this might set it up a little bit nicely. And it's a clear bump set spike at that point. But if you take this story alone and you take these characters alone in the last shot, it's not nearly enough to be like, oh, that's why Ben turned into Kylo. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I... 
Do we know? So we know in Bloodline that he was off with Luke when mm-hmm. the whole news about Vader came out. Yeah. So then the stuff with Luke standing over him with the lightsaber had to happen after that. Right? Because that was like when he fully like went to Snoke and was like, hey, bro, train me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In, theor- in, theory, in theory, yes. The only okay. thing we're missing is just confirmation that Luke pretty much told Han and Leia right away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see if Luke tried to kind of like, you know, CYA and cover it up. Yeah. I, or if he just ran away right away and they had to find out some other way. I think there's definitely like, yeah, this could kind of set up that resentment and, and making him open towards it. And then that was kind of like the final, uh, final push there. I really want to get more stories about, like, I hope we get stories about his youth. Um, in like, even if they're like middle grade readers, um, I don't know if you ever read like, uh, what is it called? Jedi Apprentice. I think yeah, was that's, the one with that's Anakin. when I got started. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's so, really what got me going when I was younger. Yeah. So something like that would be a lot of fun with uh, Ben Solo because you could kind of like start it when he's just, you know, a kid going to school and you can have like boarding school type uh harry potter style stories where they're just going on like adventures and trouble they get caught up in school uh and then transition him into jedi knight training and you have a whole nother series right there so you heard it here first um (laughs) i think it's something we'll get eventually after after episode nine i think we'll get it i think that's the the only real frustrating part of how they're doing this new canon is I want everything right now. I want to know, know. everything because we're so not used to not having everything. It's been, uh, let's see, 13 years since revenge of the Sith came out. Like we've always known everything. And so to not know everything is really, it's like a weird mix of fun because we get to explore, but then also I want my answers now so that I know. Um, but we'll, we'll see eventually as it, goes on i think a fan struggle it's you know first world problems i think it's definitely stories that'll come out and will definitely be fun to talk about so uh was there anything else that you wanted to talk about Lindsay? i think i covered all my stuff no i feel like we covered it just because all in all i mean i don't think there's a whole lot of substance to this book i think it's enjoyable enough it just doesn't really add anything to the universe or the canon that was really missing before yeah, I think I think I'll go back and listen to it if I get the opportunity on audiobook um, because I've heard such good things about the three different narrators and how it really does help you distinguish between the stories. Um, so I think I'll after this conversation that we've had and kind of picking out the the good stuff that we could find out, out of this book, I think I'll go back and revisit it that way. But it's not going to be like I'm not going to rush on Audible right now and buy it. It'll be more of like. Yeah when I can get it from the public library type thing. So um, we've been really bad the last couple episodes and we have not done our Lothcat rankings. No, so no, let's bring it back. We are. Yes. I, I have it written down because I didn't want to forget it and I have to write things down or otherwise I will forget them. So it is written down, which means we have to talk about it. So Lothcat ratings, how many Lothcats you give this? Are we doing out of five or out of 10? Let's do out of five. Out of five. Honestly, I think I would give it two. I would go two and a half. Yeah. The head, though. You know, the good half of the <laughs> cat, not the, not the crappy half. So That's all that counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, was, I was picturing it right down the middle. But, I mean, if you want to go half and half like that, so be it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like more it, – it, it, it could trip and fall into like two and three quarters of a lot cat um, if the audiobook turns it into something more. Maybe even three on a good day, depending on what mood I'm in. So we'll we'll see, and I will report back on what the audiobook is like, you know, a, a year from now or whenever I get, get free time of any sort. We have so, drawn appliances coming up, and that's yes. going to be a day. Oh, that, and I'm I'm really so I'm really excited about this um, Han Solo Kira book. I don't even remember what it's called, uh, but the cover looks amazing, and all the the strength of this new canon has been the young adult novels, and so anytime a new young adult novel is coming out, I'm 
You know it's going to be good. Oh, you know what? Actually, I wanted to talk about this earlier in the show because we won't cover it like as a full episode. Have you read the Adventures in Wild Space books? The books or the comic books? The books. Books? No comic books, yes. Okay. The... I just finished the series, like, five-part series. It came out primarily in the UK, and so they're just starting to get released here, but I was able to get some off Amazon. They were fun little stories. Um, you and your nephews might might like them. It's about a couple uh, yeah. kids who, uh, they, the Empire takes their parents, um, who are, like, scientists or something, or not scientists or researchers or something, and anyways, and these kids and their droid go on to find their parents, and... It's actually, it was, a, it was a pretty good read. Um, I finished all five of them in about three weeks, and that was like just reading them in the little bit of time I had at work. So, um, Check you, it out for sure. Yeah, they're, they're fun little books, and I think you can get them on um, Kindle for like four bucks. Uh, I'm oh, sure you perfect. can get them at your public library. So if you haven't checked those out, uh, check those out. Read them with a kid that uh, you love or you know can kind of stand whatever, anything to get more kids into reading. And <laughs> until next time... Keep turning those pages. We'll see ya. All right, by this point, you know how this goes. Their stuff, their stuff. Our stuff, our stuff. Not associated with Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy, give me a call. Dave Filoni, I'm there if you need me. Our thoughts? They're our thoughts. They don't reflect Lucasfilm or anybody else associated with this stuff. So, if you don't like it, we're sorry. If you do like it, great. Let us know either way on iTunes, on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. Rate us, review us, share us, tell your friends about us, and it, whatever you do, just don't burn the sacred text!